You'll find it helpful to have that passage in John uh, open in front of you. John 1, 1 to 5. Now, the story goes that a man walked into a mechanics. And he said, I've got a problem. The 710 cap exploded on my car yesterday. Nearly blew the whole engine and I need a new one. Your 710 cap, said the mechanic. I've never heard of of one of those. What does it do? The man says, I don't know. It's just always been there. I've never touched it today until it exploded. Well, what does it look like? And the man put his hand up and tried to make a sort of circle shape. He said, it's no good. Okay, let me draw it. So the mechanic got some paper out. And the man uh, drew a circle. And he said, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Except for it had 710 written on it. And the mechanic looked confused. What is this thing? And then it dawned on him. And he turned it round. <laughs> that, sir, is an oil cap. <laughs> it's important, isn't it? That we know what something says. But it's also important that we know why something is there. It's not just enough to know what something is. We need to know why it was there. And that's what the man with the, uh, the engine didn't really know. So when we look at our passage this morning, we're looking at a particularly familiar passage. We've heard it lots and lots of times. But the question is not only what does our passage say, but why is it there? So John this morning, I'm going to put it to you, is telling us the Christmas story. That's what John is doing. Now John, as you know, doesn't have really a Christmas story, you know, with the stable and the, uh, the oxen and all those different things. But our passage before us this morning does the same thing as the Christmas story. Whereas Matthew and Luke trace back the story to the beginning uh, in the stable in Bethlehem, John traces back his history right back to the beginning of time. But their goal is both the same, to herald the coming into the world of the Lord Jesus. The angels herald his birth in Matthew and Luke, while John himself here heralds the birth of Jesus Christ. Telling us the Christmas story to tell us not just that Jesus came into the world, but why he came into the world. And this Christmas, as we go through this little series in John, we're going to see what John is telling us about Christmas time. Now John does begin the gospel with some famous words, doesn't he? But they're famous words from somewhere else. Even if we only have a passing knowledge of the Bible, we'll recognise in the beginning. John takes us right back uh, to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, as we'll see with our first heading, in the beginning. And let's read verses 1 and 2 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, with this, it's really tempting to just jump straight into this passage and go, okay, uh, this means Jesus is God. Now, we're going to get there, but we've got to pause. We've got to go a bit more slowly. It's not just like John has written, Jesus was X and X was God. And we sort of jump in and go, right, Jesus is God. We need to know why Jesus is the Word. Which often we overlook. We jump straight to, this is all about Jesus' deity. But why is Jesus the Word? Well, the word, word, there is logos. And it carries a few more ideas, a few more nuances than our word, word. Logos is where we get our word logic from. And in the old world, it was used in various different sorts of ways. 
It was sometimes used for the principle which controlled the universe. It was sometimes used for the idea of the soul of the world. Even in the New Testament, it's used in different ways. So in Hebrews 4 verse 12, you see that on the back of your notice sheets. We get that another famous verse there, but at the end of it's there. And, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That word thoughts is logos. Same word. Or in Acts chapter 10 verse 29. Um, so I ask for what reason you have sent me. The word reason there is, is logos. It's the same idea. So with these variety of, of meanings that you get, what's the best way to understand it? Well, in the Bible, with these sorts of questions, context is always king, isn't it? And the whole of our passage harks back to another book, the book of Genesis. So we need to look there to understand what he means by him being the word. So what was the word there? Well, again, on the back of your notice sheets, Genesis 1, 1 to 3. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So sometimes the simplest answer is the the simplest thing, isn't it? It's the right one. The word that God spoke here is the word that he spoke. It's not supposed to be something too complicated. Obviously it carries a few other nuances, But it really means God's spoken word. The word that he spoke into the void of darkness. The word that he spoke to create the universe and everything in it. We'll see that in a few moments' time. So although that word can have other meanings, I really think it just means word. It's one of those simple things, isn't it? I remember watching an episode of Red Dwarf a few years ago, a sci-fi program, and they're looking around this amazing art gallery. Uh, of all the sort of new different sorts of art, you know, ones that you can, like, unmade beds and all that sort of thing. And one of the characters says, oh, I'll take that one. And the guy says, I'm really sorry, that's the light switch. Uh, you can't have that one. Um, but sometimes it's, uh, it's the most obvious things, isn't it, that we miss. And it is words. It's a spoken word. And as we see, uh, or we will see, God created the world through his word. His word was the agent of creation. God rules the world through his word. God upholds and rules everything through his word. God reveals himself through his word. All that we certainly know about God, we know because it's there in his word. It's his revelation of himself. And where God's word is, God is. God is present by his word. And as we'll see as we go through, these things are equally true of Jesus. It's why it's so fitting that Jesus is referred to as the word. It's not an accident. It's not just some random word that he's picked. But it's worth saying, though, this passage does show us that Jesus is God. It's saying that we celebrate what we celebrate at Christmas is actually God coming into the world, isn't it? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. Now, I'm going to give you an understatement in a minute. I don't know if you uh, are into understatements. Here's an understatement for you. This was the captain of a BA flight over Indonesia in 2010, flying through clouds of volcanic ash. This is what he said to the passengers. This is your captain speaking. We have a small problem. All four engines have stopped. That's an understatement, isn't it? It gets even funnier, actually. He said, "Uh, we are trying our hardest to get them on again. I trust that you are not in too much distress. (laughs) They would be now, wouldn't they? But that's, a, that's an understatement, isn't it? We have a small problem. 
They, they, they all finished okay. They did, they did land okay. But uh, here's another understatement. The Trinity is complicated. That's a, an understatement for you, isn't it? But our passage does justice to this. So as we read this, it's, it's clear what it says, but it might be a little bit confusing. So I'll try and go slow. I know sometimes I go a bit fast. But it says that the word is God. It also says the word was with God. So we can see there that there, there is the idea that this word is, is God himself. But there's also some sort of distinction in there. Later on in the passage, this relationship will be referred to as father and son. If it just said he was God, well, you wouldn't get the idea of different persons, would you, in the Trinity? You wouldn't get the idea of there being some sort of distinct identities there. But here we have both. So it doesn't massively explain a lot of things, but it does fit with what we know about the Trinity. Jesus is God. Now, there's a lot of nonsense spoken about this passage, if I'm honest. Uh, I've had lots of discussions with uh, people down through the years in cults. And I remember when I was a ministry trainee, my first week, I I sat next to a visitor. And um, she said something about the deity of Christ. And so, you know, I don't believe Jesus is God. And I took her to John 1. And she started telling me about all these things about the Logos that I didn't know. Um, and And there's a lot of nonsense spoken about it. One of the biggest ones is that uh, cults down the ages have pointed out that there's no definite article on the word God in our passage. So if you go back to verse 1, where it says, and the word was God. There's no the before God in the Greek. Now you don't need that in English, but people argue that you need it in Greek. So you get some people who translate this passage, um, Jehovah's Witnesses for example, the word was a God, a God. But again and again, this translation of a God, which sort of puts Jesus lower than being God, has been proved false. Now, again, don't worry, I'm not going to get too technical this morning. But if you ever hear this, here's two ways to sort of argue against this nonsense. Firstly, the word the is not always needed to show it is the thing and not just a thing. Okay, The word the is not always needed to show it's the thing and not a thing. In the same chapter, no less... Have a look at verse 49. John chapter 1 verse 49. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. (coughs) Now, there's no word the before king of Israel. So could you translate it, uh, you are a king of Israel? Well, no, nobody does that. Not even the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, do that. But it's the same function in Greek. You don't need the the there to make it definite. Um, Also, the other big clue that you can point to is the word order. So literally in the Greek, it's in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and God was the word. So John places the the word God right at the beginning to emphasise that God is, that Jesus is God. He emphasises the godness of the word. That's what John has in mind. So that would be a very strange thing to do if you weren't emphasising Jesus' deity. And actually, on top of all that, Don Carson has argued that if the word the was there, it could make the whole thing contradictory. Because what you'd have is that God equals the word in a way that you can't have God with the word. So... Basically, it's nonsense. That's the thing you need to take away uh, from that. 
But what we have here is a wonderful statement of Jesus' deity, as well as his relationship with God the Father. And even if we didn't have this phrase, what we'll see in the rest of the passage is enough to show us Jesus' deity. Is enough to show us that actually Jesus is God. I mean, just think about the opening words. In the beginning was the word. Well, just think about what that's saying. It's a statement saying, if you go right back to the very beginning, the word was there. There was never a time when he was not. He was already there at the beginning. So whoever we're dealing with here is someone who is eternal. And there's only one eternal being, isn't there? But if that isn't enough to convince you that the word is God, well, look at what we see next. We see God created the heavens and the earth. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So what it's saying there is that everything that has been made was made through Jesus, the word. And again, going back to Genesis, we know that. How did God create the world? Through his word. By speaking his word. And it's not as if it just says that he you know, created some things. He created all things. And it gives us the negative as well. As if sort of hammering at home. As if nailing down all the hatches that we could get through. Without him was not anything made that was made. So in other words, if it was made, he made it. So he himself cannot have been made. Which again, you get some ideas with cults that tell you Jesus was created and then he created everything else. No. It's a bit like this chart. You, you know these sort of things. You know, Was it made? Yes. Well, Jesus made it. Was it made? No. Well, it's God. You only have one unmade thing in the universe because God created everything else. So if it's saying that Jesus created all things, he has not been made. But he made the world. So when it says God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis, it, it means Jesus is in there as well. It's clear that Jesus did it. So just stop and think for a second. We're reading this, but who's writing this? Well, it's John. The Apostle John. Somebody who knew Jesus. John is saying that the babe that was born in Bethlehem, the man who walked the streets of Israel's towns and cities, the carpenter from Nazareth, he's saying that this man created the world. Now that is a huge claim, isn't it, that he's making. John is not leaving us the option of Jesus being a good teacher or just a holy prophet. He's saying that Jesus of Nazareth is the creator of the world, God Almighty. And think about it too. John is a monotheistic Jew. He believes in one God. So here he is saying that Jesus is his maker. That Jesus is Yahweh, the Lord, the creator of all things. And for a monotheistic Jew, a Jew who believes in one God, something massive must have happened to make him believe that Jesus is God. It's, it's not like he believed in many gods. And that's really the story of John's gospel. The massive change, the massive things that he saw that changed his mind. And he's up front about it. Again, in the back of your notice sheets, John 20, verses 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, 
you may have life in his name. John is telling you why he's writing this to you. Something massive has happened in John's life and he wants to tell us about it. He's become convinced that the man he shared three years of his life with is none other than the creator of the world. And he's writing these things to convince us of the same. And he's not just writing it to win an intellectual argument. He's writing it because he wants us to have life. Do you see that there at the end of verse 31? And that by believing you may have life in his name. Life to the full. It's been said, hasn't it, that there's being alive and then there's really living. Well, John wants us not just to be alive, but to live. And he begins to tell us how in our last section. And God said, let there be light. Have a look at verses four and five. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. <coughs> now light is going to be the focus of our, uh, our uh, Sunday morning next week for our family carols. Because he's going to go and explain a bit more about how Jesus is the light. But he begins to tell us that the life that he wants us to have is first and foremost found in Jesus. In him was life. So Jesus wasn't just alive. Jesus Jesus didn't even just uh, live. Jesus is the source of life. So John 5, 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he is granted the Son also to have life in himself. As God is the source of life, so Jesus is too. John 6, 35. Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That image is used all the way through John, isn't it? The bread of life. The resurrection and the life. The way, the truth and the life. And we saw with Al earlier, the source of living water. In him is life. And he's more than that. If you think about, go back to Genesis again, which is where he's pointing us to. He literally is the source of life. He's the creator of our very being. So if you want life, true life, you must go to Jesus. He's the only source of true satisfaction known to man. And if you're a Christian here this morning, if you want true life, you need to keep going to Jesus. He's still where it's found. There really is nowhere else to go. He has the words of eternal life. And it says more than that, doesn't it? Not just that he's life, but that his life was a light to mankind. Now I think this is the hardest bit to get your head round, really. Why is it the life that is the light of men? Because elsewhere it's going to say, well, I am the light of the world, Jesus will say. Why not just, he is the light? Why is it his life that's the light? Well, I think John has two ideas in mind. The life that is, is in him is a revelation to the world which is not understood. Okay, so it's like a light shining to the world that they haven't understood, they haven't got, they haven't comprehended. But there's also, I think, the idea that the life that is in him is this indestructible life that's not overcome. And those two ideas come together in verse 5. So the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Now, if you have a different translation this morning, you see some translations do overcome. And some translations do understood. 
So the word there that, that's translated overcome can mean understand. It can mean apprehend and it can mean comprehend. I think the closest we get to it in English is to get. So you can translate it this way. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not got it. Can you see it can mean both? It could mean that it hasn't got it, it hasn't grasped it, it hasn't overcome it. Or it just be they haven't got it. They don't understand it. And I think John actually means both. There's a lot of ink been spilled exactly what he means. I think he's got both ideas in mind. So what does that actually mean as he writes it to us? Well, it means that as we as human beings look at Jesus, uh, as we as human beings look at Jesus and we see his amazing life, we won't get it, naturally. I mean, we sometimes wonder, don't we, why people aren't turning to Jesus in troves. You think, look, look at his life, look how amazing he is, look at all the wonderful things he offers us. But it's saying, well, the darkness simply doesn't understand the light. We shouldn't expect it to, in a way. Despite all the witnesses that John will bring forward in his book, people will still not believe. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hasn't got it. Now, that doesn't mean that if we're a Christian here this morning, we can be smug. We were once in the same boat, weren't we? And it's nothing that we did that got us out of that boat. We needed Jesus to supernaturally open our eyes to see the light. So we can only enjoy the light and life that Jesus offers if God's worked in us first. So we can't be smug. But if we want to know what Jesus is like as Christians, we look to the word. We look to Jesus and the written word, both words, don't we? The written word and the word, the Son incarnate. When the lights are switched on, we can now see what he is like. So we must look to Jesus if we want to understand God, if we want to get it. But it also means that right back at the beginning here, right in the first few verses of John's Gospel, we're already being pointed to Jesus' death and resurrection. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus' resurrection is going to be the ultimate sign that John will give us in his gospel. And viewed through this lens, if you view it that way, the life that Jesus has, that's the light of men, is Jesus' resurrection life. A life that the darkness could not extinguish, even though they will try, as you see through the book. But then this also adds to what life Jesus wants to offer us. If it's his resurrection life that it's talking about that cannot be overcome, that is also the life that's on offer to us. Abundant life, yes, but also eternal life. Inextinguishable life as Jesus has. A light that still shines in the darkness. Do you notice it's Jesus' light shines, not it shone? All the rest of it is in the past tense, isn't it? His light still shines. He still offers this to men and women. He continues to reveal God. He continues to offer life. So what does God want us to do this morning? Well, if we have never done before, we need to take hold of that life that Jesus offers. He was no mere man and his life was no mere life. We can grasp hold of that life because he offers it freely. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how deep in the darkness we've been, 
We deserve death, don't we, as human beings. But we're offered life by Jesus. And if we have taken hold of that life, then he simply wants us to come and adore his son this Christmas time. He wants us to remind remind us that the one that we follow, the one that we have as our Lord, is the eternal word, the shining light, the indestructible life. And ultimately, that is why this passage is there. To magnify and glorify the Son, the Lord Jesus. So when we feel small and pathetic, when we feel weak and downtrodden, we can remember the one that we serve is this shining light. Is the eternal word. And one day we will share in his glory. One day we will share in his indestructible life. The word of God the Father from before the world began is our saviour, our rescuer, our friend. And the passage is here to show us that this Christmas time we can adore him. He is the reason for the season. The word of God made fresh. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus. We want to thank you that he is the eternal word. Father, that he has been with you for all eternity. And Father, keep us from making him less than he is. Father, help us to remember that as we see uh, all those pictures of the babe in the manger this Christmas time, that actually he is God of all. And that Father, he is creator of our world. And help us to treat him in our lives as we should do. Father, pray that this Christmas time you would shine that light Reveal yourself to men and women, uh, we pray, especially here uh, in, in Otley and Ilkley. Father, we pray that many would see the light that you've shone and that many would turn and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.